Well, today we conclude a journey. This is a journey that we've been tracing for several weeks now, but this is a journey that originally took place over the course of several months, probably a year or more. Two men, Paul and Barnabas, were able to pack up and go when God called them to to be set apart and to, to set out to spread the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. And even though this is a journey that that is concluding for these two men, a journey that took place in the mid-first century, there are still some important truths that we can learn from it and from the conclusion of it for our own individual practices and for our corporate practices as a church this morning. So I want to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 14 as we conclude this missionary journey, Paul's first missionary journey. This was a journey on which these two men had traveled hundreds of miles, some by ship and some by foot, mostly by foot, a trip that was no doubt exhausting tiring as they encountered opposition and as they went from place to place looking for an opportunity to spread their their message. And as they returned home, we know that, that surely they were tired. Surely they were worn out. These trips and traveling themselves can be exhausting. You know this. In fact, just a couple summers ago, my family had the opportunity to go to Disney World and We were excited. We packed up and we went with extended family. And I was especially excited because this was going to be the first time that I had been to Disney World. And so I could not wait. It was going to be good. And it was good. It was really good. We were going to hit a different park each day. And the end of the week, when we began to make that journey from Orlando back to Birmingham home... I suddenly began to realize that five theme parks in five days in the middle of the summer with a three-month-old is not the most, ex- the most relaxing thing. Just like with any other vacation that I'd been privileged to go on, I was looking forward to some time to get away and to recharge and to relax. And instead, I came home needing a day or two to hibernate to get over that relaxing vacation. Now, Paul and Barnabas didn't go on a relaxing vacation. They didn't go on a vacation at all. They went on a missionary journey to spread a message. And no doubt they wore themselves out. Traveling from place to place. Speaking a message that some places was received well and other places was not. Was received by some, was rejected by others. A message that led to fierce opposition. A message that led them to be attacked, it led Paul to be stoned, it led these two men to be kicked out of multiple cities. No doubt when they got home from that expedition, they were worn out. But as we'll see this morning, rather than thanking God for a safe trip home and, and laying down on the pillow to rest, instead they, they got back and they could not wait to tell their brothers and sisters in Antioch, their sending church, 
what had taken place on that journey. And so they came home and they gathered the church together to report what God had done and to worship him. This morning we'll see that as God calls, leads, and equips us to make disciples of Jesus in all places, he deserves worship for the fruit of our obedience. As God calls, leads, and equips us to make disciples of Jesus in all places, he deserves our worship for the fruit of our obedience. Look with me now at Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 21, as we read the conclusion to this incredible missionary journey. Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 21. They preached the good news in that city, talking about Derby, and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. The first truth that I want us to see from this passage this morning, and by the way, these can be found on your sermon outline note insert in your bulletin for those of you that like to take notes. But the first truth that I want us to see from this passage is that missions is about making disciples of Jesus in all places. Missions is about making disciples of Jesus in all places. Places. Now that sounds obvious enough. That sounds simple enough. After all, that's what we've been talking about. I don't think any of us would disagree with that. Missions is about spreading the message of Christ with the hopes that others would come to know Christ and desire to follow Christ, to give Christ their lives. After all, who can, who can follow one they don't know? But as we'll see in this passage, there's a process to that. There's a process to making disciples. It must be intentional. And we see intentionality in the way that they went about this process, the way that Paul and Barnabas, the way that the early church went about that process of making disciples. And as we seek to to make other disciples of Jesus Christ, to make other followers of the Lord and the Savior, then we need to be intentional as well. And there's several layers to that process, several steps involved in that process. And we see some of those this morning. The first is perhaps the most obvious. It's the one that we've been focusing in on week after week for the last several weeks. It's the one that most readily jumps out as we think about spreading the message, as we think about spreading the gospel. And that's that making disciples involves preaching the gospel. Making disciples involves preaching the gospel. After all, who can follow someone they don't know? 
Who can follow Jesus if they don't know Jesus? Jesus is the Savior. He's the Redeemer. He's the Lord. He's the Lamb of God that takes away, takes away the sins of the world through His substitutionary and sacrificial sacrifice on our behalf. But who can follow that Christ? Who can be a disciple of that Christ without knowing that Christ? So missions, efforts, discipleship efforts, any efforts that we participate in in which we seek to to witness others come to know Christ and to follow Him must involve preaching or proclaiming or spreading the message of Christ. This is the the pattern. This is the practice that we see right here in Acts chapter 14. Look at verse 21. They preached the good news in that city, in Derby, and won a large number of disciples. Skip down to verse 24. After going through Poseidia, they came into Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And so as we've seen throughout this journey, this is what they did. They went from place to place with the sole aim of spreading that message, proclaiming that message, preaching that message so that others might respond in faith to that message and the one in whom that message is about. They went from place to place, speaking it over and over and over again. Just like those toys that you see at the end of the aisle at Walmart, especially this time of year, and you walk by it and you see a little place where it says, press here, and when you do, it says something over and over and over again without fail, and you just hope that that maybe your young child doesn't see it and ask Santa for it because then you might have to listen to it over and over and over again. Paul and Barnabas, these two early missionaries, spread the message, the message of the gospel, the message of good news, of salvation through Christ, the message of Christ crucified, buried, and resurrected from the dead in the place of sinners like you and me. They spread that message over and over and over again. And sure, they adjusted their approach from time to time, as we saw last week, depending on the circumstances, depending on the audience, but the message remained the same. Making disciples involves preaching the gospel. I think by now, for now, I've said enough about that particular step in this process throughout this series, throughout this journey, but if for some reason you feel like you've been shortchanged on that, then please Please come and see me and let's talk some more about that. But step number two that we see from this passage, making disciples involves ongoing realistic encouragement. Making disciples involves ongoing realistic encouragement. Now this is important because making disciples of Jesus, seeing people come to know Christ and follow Christ is more more than just statistics. It's more than just decisions. It's more than just compiling a list of names of people that perhaps have have made some sort of decision to believe in Christ. And I'm not downplaying decisions. Don't mishear me because every time the gospel is presented, people either respond to it by believing it 
or they respond to it by rejecting it and walking away from it. But making disciples of Jesus is more than it's more than urging people to walk down a church aisle. It's more than pressing people to to repeat a prayer so that they can avoid hell. Making disciples of Jesus requires an intentional, ongoing effort to see people come to know and follow the Son of God, the Savior of the world. It is about building relationships for the purpose of teaching and training and showing others what it means and what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. After all, that's what Jesus himself did, is it not? He spent three years with his closest disciples, with his followers, teaching and training them day after day after day what it meant, what it really meant to know him and to be devoted to him, to trust in him as the Messiah, as the Savior, and to follow after him. And this is the example that we see here of Paul and Barnabas as well. Look back at verse 21, about halfway through. It says, Then, after they preached in Derby, then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. I want you to look for a moment at the map on the screens. This provides a snapshot view of this overall missionary journey. And you can see on, on the right side of the map, you can see that red arrow. That's Antioch in Syria. That's where this, this journey began on the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. and they, they set out. They sailed across the water. They went over to the island of Cyprus. and They went up into Pamphylia, that little yellow province or region near the bottom center of the screen. And then they went up and began to make their way back southeast from town to town. And that yellow arrow near the center of the map and to the right slightly is Derby. That's their final stop on their outbound journey. And now they decide to go home. The journey concludes. But wouldn't it have been easier? I'm no geography expert, don't mishear me, but wouldn't it have been easier to to go from Derby, the yellow arrow, to the southeast by land back to Antioch and Syria? rather than going back northwest and then south and sailing back across the sea. Of course it would have. It's much shorter, much closer, much more direct. Would have potentially been faster, been easier and safer, rather than going back to cities in which they had encountered fierce opposition. So why in the world would they take the long way home? And we're told right here, it was so that they could go back to these cities where they had seen a response to the gospel and so that they could strengthen those disciples and encourage them in their faith. They went the long way home because they wanted to make sure that these believers recognized the decision that they had made and knew what it would cost them. And they wanted to make sure that that they were growing in their faith and that they had other believers and 
in Christ to come alongside and to worship with and to reach out with and to grow together with. These are the same cities listed here, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, in which these missionaries encountered real opposition for their message. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, Paul writes much later in his life, much later in his ministry, about those experiences. He says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, and sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Verse 12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so Paul and Barnabas go the long way home, going back to Iconium and Lystra and Antioch to strengthen and encourage the disciples there because they wanted them to know that for their faithfulness to their Savior, for their faithfulness to Christ, they too would encounter opposition in this world. No doubt, they had already witnessed the opposition that Paul and Barnabas had encountered and had probably encountered some on their own for their identification with Christ since those guys were kicked out of the city. They wanted to encourage them. They wanted to strengthen them in their faith. And this is why Paul's pattern was to stay connected with the churches that he helped start, that he helped establish. He wanted to give them instruction. He wanted to offer them encouragement. And this is so much of what we read in the New Testament with the New Testament letters that he and others wrote, written to believers to build them up. And that takes us to the, the third step in the disciple-making process that we see from this passage this morning. And that's that making disciples involves establishing local churches. Making disciples involves establishing local churches. Look back at verse 23 of Acts chapter 14. It reads this way, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So these guys take the long way home, the risky way home, the tiring way home, the exhausting way home so that they could help make sure that believers in each of these cities, new believers, new converts to Christianity in each of these cities had a church to identify themselves with, to come alongside other believers, to worship Christ with other believers, to grow in Christ with other believers and to spread the message of hope and salvation in Christ to to their families, to their friends, to their neighbors and their cities alongside other believers. That was the practice. It wasn't about Paul and Barnabas. And in our efforts, it's certainly not about Chris Jones or, or David Vaughn. It's not about any pastor or church leader anywhere. It is about establishing churches that are built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So Christians have bodies of Christ, households of faith, body of believers to come alongside and to worship the Lord and 
to grow together and to engage in making other disciples together. Now, I want you to know, church, Meadowbrook Baptist Church, it is such an encouragement to me to know that, that you have recognized the importance of assisting and partnering with and planting other local churches. This is a huge step in disciple-making and recognizing that our task is, is beyond what we can accomplish on our own. And Chelsea Village Baptist Church, now four years old and practically self-sufficient, is a prime example of just that. A church that began as a small group of believers in a house, now growing now making other disciples, now reaching people that this church cannot. And so for the next couple minutes, I want you to hear from Scott Slayton, pastor of Chelsea Village Baptist Church. Hey, Meadowbrook, my name's Scott Slayton, and I'm the lead pastor of Chelsea Village Baptist Church out here in Chelsea, which you helped us start Back in 2009, in 2009, Brooke and William Dunham, who were members there at Meadowbrook, came and pitched to Brother Ron and to the missions committee there at Meadowbrook Baptist the vision of us coming along and you sending us out to come out here to Chelsea to help start a new work. And so in May of 2009, you helped raise enough salary for the rest of the year for my wife Beth and I to be able to move down here and sent me and Beth and Brooke and William out to start Chelsea Village Baptist. And by God's grace, in four years, we have gone from just a few people meeting in a living room to now we're gathered here in our own location that we're renting and had over 90 people this past Sunday. By God's grace, we've baptized over 20 people in the last four years, and we're also now helping to partner with a new church in southeast Alabama as well. And so we're so thankful for how gracious you have been to us, how you have continued to pray for us and encourage us and, and ask how you can continue to help us. And, and so we are so grateful for that. My encouragement to you as you were talking about missions today and as you were looking at the book of Acts and how Paul on his missionary journeys went back and encouraged and strengthened churches, I would encourage you to continue to find ways to partner with new church plants and new church starts as church planting is a very important way of getting the gospel out to people. As we think about doing it here, even in Shelby County, the most recent statistics show that there are over 200,000 people in Shelby County, and on an average Sunday, only 34,000 people are worshiping Jesus. And so the mission here is big, and I would encourage you to continue to find ways that you can partner together and help continue to move forward the cause of Christ here in Shelby County and beyond. What a joy it is to partner with other churches, have like-minded vision and missions for the sake of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ in this county and to the ends of the earth. As a church, our, our mission strategy and our partnerships will involve partnering with and connecting with others on the ground, so to speak. Other churches, other missionaries that have an ongoing presence in various places. In other words, where we don't have a, an ongoing presence, 
Our task is to come alongside those that do. Missionaries, churches, local believers. and To partner with them and to assist them and to work with them as they seek to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ among all people. And as God blesses those efforts, He deserves our worship. He deserves us to respond by praising Him. As God calls, leads, and equips us to make disciples of Jesus in all places, He deserves our worship for the fruit of our obedience. And we see a prime example of that, a perfect example of that right here in the conclusion to this passage and in the conclusion to this journey. So look back at verses 26 through 28. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them And how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. God deserves praise for successful missions endeavors. God deserves praise for successful missions endeavors. As we've already stated, no doubt these men, on their return home to Antioch and Syria, were worn out. They were tired. They were exhausted. But they couldn't wait to gather their church together so that they could then share what God had done through them. No doubt they they shared about the Gentiles and the Jews that had responded in faith to the gospel. No doubt they also shared about the opposition that they faced. No doubt they shared about the miracles that they had witnessed God do through them. Perhaps most important for us, though, is that they did all that with a proper perspective. They did all of that recognizing that they hadn't accomplished nor endured any of it on their own, that it was God who was guiding them and leading them throughout the journey. It was God that protected them, that it was God who equipped them, that it was God who worked through them so that people might respond in obedience and faith and trust to the message they were proclaiming. And that is the kind of God that we serve. That is the kind of God that we worship, a God who calls us to participate in the process of making disciples across the earth. A God who who leads us and equips us to carry out that task. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we'll conclude there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. This is good. Scripture reads this way. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, 
not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And because God has chosen to make his appeal for his gospel through his people, through us, we implore others on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, be restored to proper fellowship with God, be restored to right relationship with God. What an honor. What a privilege that God has chosen to use us to be the agents of his message, to be the deliverers of his message. What a, what a task. What an honor it is to, to speak on behalf of the creator of the universe. And that is what God has called his people to do. That is what God calls us to do. That is what God leads us to do as his people, as his church. And that is what God equips us to do in the world. And as people respond in faith to that message, all we can do is praise God. As God calls, leads, and equips us to make disciples of Jesus in all places, he deserves our worship for the fruit of our obedience. After all, any fruit that we encounter is only the result of his work in us and through us for his glory. I want to invite you to be back tonight. Because tonight we're going to do something a little bit different as we imitate what Paul and Barnabas did right here at the conclusion to their journey. We're going to gather together and we are going to worship and we are going to celebrate and we are going to report on some of the things that that God has done throughout 2013 in some of you in this congregation, how he has worked on various journeys to extend the message of salvation, to extend the message of hope in Christ. And not only are we going to report and celebrate about those things, but we're also going to anticipate what God is going to do in the coming year in 2014. So I hope, I really do, I hope you, if at all possible, will make plans to be here tonight to join in that process. Personally speaking, I think there are some pretty exciting opportunities on the table for 2014, and I hope you'll be here to hear about them. But our task as disciples, as messengers, as followers of Christ is to extend the message of Christ, to extend it loud and clear and with love. And we only do that because he has done a work in us, because he has transformed us. And as we encounter God through biblical worship, our desire is then to grow, to come alongside others and to grow in that walk, to grow in that relationship with Christ and to spread that message by going throughout the world with the gospel of Christ so that others might come to know that same Lord. So I ask you this morning, Do you desire to do that? Do you desire to worship 
the God of Scripture as He has made Himself known in Scripture? Do you desire to come alongside others and to grow in that walk with Christ? Do you desire to to spread the message of salvation by grace through faith in Christ so that others might come to know that same Christ? And if not, I, I hope and I pray this morning that you come to know the Savior. That you come to know Jesus as your Savior. Because He is the one that transforms us and gives us the desire to do just that. Are you committed to making disciples of Jesus who make other disciples of Jesus, who make other disciples of Jesus for the sake of glorifying God? Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful this morning for the opportunity to to gather freely, to worship you, to exalt you, to, to stand with brothers and sisters and sing praises to you and give of ourselves to you. Lord, and we desire to hear from you. We desire for you to lead us individually and as a church, Lord. We desire for you to set the course of our path day to day. Lord, we pray that you would do just that, that you would guide us, that you would lead us to be about the things that you're about because you've done a transforming work in us that that grips us and that compels us to worship you and to grow in you and to go with your truth. Lord, I pray that you've been glorified in us this morning and I pray that you continue to be glorified as we seek to exalt you and to be your people. Lead us now, Lord. Speak to us now. Hear our praises now. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.